Well, I hope after today, you will never fall victim to the empty words that the Bible is not relevant for today. The Bible doesn't speak to today because today we're talking about washing hands. (laughs) Can you believe that there's a whole passage in the Bible dealing with the issue of washing hands. And certainly that is an appropriate conversation for us today. And at first it may seem like the conversation that the people of God are having or the Pharisees and the, and the, the disciples of Jesus are having may seem like a trite conversation, but it's revealing a deeper issue in the heart of the Pharisees themselves. It reveals a greater tension that's been unfolding throughout the gospel of Matthew as these Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, seek to hold on to their authority, seek to hold on to their own power and control. It's a tension between the word of God and the words of man. The word of God and the words of man. And the question for us today as the people of God is, who are we ultimately going to trust as we think about our responsibility to live for the glory of God. If it is our heart and our desire as the people of God to please God, who is it that we think will lead us to pleasing God better? The word of God or the words of man? This tension has been building, as I said, throughout the Gospel of Matthew. If you think back to the Sermon on the Mount, you see this tension introduced as Jesus teaches. How many times does he say in the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard it said, but I say. Do you remember those moments as Jesus talks about anger in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22? He says, you have heard it said, but I say. As he talks about lust in chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, you have heard it said, but I say. If you commit adultery, you've transgressed the commandment of God, but I say. If you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with that woman. But see, for Jesus, it's not just about the outward actions that matter. It's the the heart of the person that matters and how your heart is directed toward the things of God. Divorce, same thing. Chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. You have heard it said, but I say. There's a, a comparison, a tension that Jesus is unveiling as he teaches us as the the great teacher that he is between what we have heard said by men and what God's word actually says. And a call to wrestle with who are we going to trust as the people of God as we seek to please our God. And today that tension comes to a head in Matthew chapter 15 as Jesus confronts some important Jewish leaders that have come from Jerusalem to test him. Somehow word's gotten back to them and a delegation has been sent to see what this Jesus is all about. And when they arrive, they accuse or ask, inquire about why Jesus' disciples are not adhering to the tradition of the elders. But in conversing with them, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that he is not under the authority of the words of man, but rather men are under the authority of the word of God. In fact, his word is the only authority. And this passage is so important for us to consider today as the people of God because the tension that is present in this text is also present in our hearts and our churches today. 
It's a tension that we still struggle with, friends, of what we value more. At the end of the day, will we trust the word of God or the words of man? Will we build our lives on the truth of God or the traditions of men? We must constantly struggle as the people of God to make sure that what we ultimately are accountable to and what we ultimately hold others accountable to is not how we grew up or what we have heard good men say or good women say, but what the word of God itself has said. That is the only condition, the only standard of faithfulness that we will be judged upon when we stand before a holy and righteous God. So let me just declare to you this morning as a pastor in this church, one of the elders in this church, that we as a people will be committed to the sufficient word of God. That this Bible, this book is the authority on which we build our lives, on which we will build our church. Hear me this morning. The word of God is our authority. It is sufficient. It doesn't need anything added to it. And we must not take anything away from it. Let us believe wholeheartedly that what God has said through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, written down by men, directed by God, is enough. It is sufficient. It is enough. At the end of the day, if what you have heard said is not what Jesus said, then you need to be careful. Because you could end up falling in the exact same trap that the Pharisees and those who follow them have fallen into in our passage today. Here's our main idea. One that seems obvious, but because I know my heart, and because I know all the hearts of the people in this room, one that has to be said. The word of God is always better than the words of man. The word of God is always better than the words of man. Now, Jared, does that mean that there's not any benefit in the words of man? Of course not. I mean, of course there are, there's a potential benefit from godly men and women offering godly counsel. Otherwise, why would we have the community? But the words of man are only beneficial so far as they are attached to the word of God. And anytime the words of man begin to compete with or lead you away from the word of God, there is a problem. Traditions are sometimes good. Traditions are sometimes helpful. But we can never get to the point where we elevate them to equal status with the word of God. Because our standards are not always God's standard. His standard is enough. And we have to be sure always that our hearts are placed before the word of God to make sure that we are pleasing him in accordance with what he has said pleases him, not with what pleases us. Because friends, traditions can change. Counsel can change. Advice is contextual. But the word of God, the truth of God is eternal. And it will never change. That's why we must trust ultimately in it. So let's see how this tension unfolds today in the passage and how Jesus addresses it for our benefit and the benefit of those who are listening. Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 to 20. Here's what the Word of God says. And the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And all of us in the room collective groan. As we think about that, he answered them, 
And why do you break the commandment of God? It's a different commandment. For the sake of your own tradition. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, listen to this. You have made void the word of God. What a troublesome statement. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching, listen to this, as doctrines, the commandments of men. And then Jesus takes his attention outward. He's been speaking to these Pharisees, these scribes directly, and then he speaks to everybody who's listening. He called the people to him, and he said to them, this can only happen as the word of God speaks, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And when the disciples came, they said to him, Hey, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? There's a little bit of fear there because they know what the Pharisees, especially the Jerusalem Pharisees, can do to someone who's accused of blasphemy. And how does Jesus answer? Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit but Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? And he gets very basic here. Do you not see that whatever goes into your mouth passes into your stomach and then is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile anyone may make you sick, but it doesn't defile you before a holy and righteous God. This is a, a showdown between the word of God and the words of men, between the teaching of Christ and the traditions of the Pharisees. Let me try to unpack for you the, the core of this tension so you can understand the point that Christ is trying to make here. The Pharisees and scribes accused Jesus' disciples of ignoring what they call the tradition of the elders. Now, what is that? The tradition of the elders is a, a formal set of teaching called the Oral Torah. And it was developed initially to help the people of God remain steadfast to the law of God. They hoped to create a fence around the law so that the people of God could not even get close to transgressing the law. They were so concerned with not breaking the law that they wanted to, to remove out the, or to move out the standard of the law to the point where you didn't even get close to offending God and offending the law. The problem is, over time, the Pharisees began to view their oral law as equivalent or of the same authority as the law that was given to them directly from God. And we talked about this a little bit when we talked about the Sabbath, right? They, they wanted to make sure that you didn't dishonor God on the Sabbath, so they limited how much you could walk. 
They limited how much you could work, if any work, on the Sabbath. And what was initially supposed to be a help became a burden that no one could bear. Because the standard was always changing. And they never knew exactly what it was that offended or pleased God. And the same thing is happening here as it applies to washing hands. Which does seem a bit odd. Because if you're going to go after someone like Jesus and his disciples, it's odd that you would focus on something as basic and simple as washing hands. And yet that's how absurd their arguments against Christ and his deity had become. You see, in Exodus chapter 30, verses 70 to 21, the Lord commands priests, priests, to ritually wash their hands before any temple ceremony so that when they're handling objects of worship, they don't bring anything impure and create a sense of uncleanliness inside the temple. Somewhere along the way, the Pharisees had expanded that requirement. So it was not just of priests in ceremonial settings. It was true of all Jewish people at normal family meals. You had to wash your hands, and not only just wash your hands, wash your hands in accordance with what the Pharisees had said that you need to wash your hands. And if you didn't do that, you were now ceremonially unpure, and your standing before God had been affected. And so they come to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, are your disciples not concerned about being right before God? They don't take the tradition of the elders seriously. They do, not, they do not think that God doesn't care about how they wash their hands or impurities they're putting into their mouth. But then Jesus asks the question. And he's essentially asking this. Let's, let's consider for a moment whose teaching actually leads their disciples to the heart of God. Whose teaching actually leads you to please God versus to dishonor God? He turns the attack on them. Let's talk about the value of your teachings. Let's talk about the true worth of your traditions and how burdensome they are. But not only burdensome, how in some cases they actually lead people to transgress the word of God. He says, for instance, you know scripture commands us to honor our father and mother, that we shouldn't revile them. In fact, that we should use our resources to take care of them in their old age. And all the grandparents and older people in the room said, Amen. I took care of you when you were a baby. I changed your diapers. I gave you a roof. I gave you food over your head. And when you need to change my diapers, you better be there. And we're supposed to honor our, our parents. We shouldn't revile them. And yet, in your teachings, you've given children, adult children, an escape clause from doing what God has called them to do. You've set up a way for these people to pledge their money to God. They can use it on themselves, but they can't use it on anybody else. And they're keeping the money for themselves that they should be spending on their parents. And then when their parents die, they get out of that commitment and can do whatever they want to with their money. If someone claims money as Corbin, that's the, the term for a temple gift, there was a restriction placed upon it according to the oral tradition of the law. You could use this money for your personal needs, but you could not use it for outside things like your parents. So your, your oral tradition, your teaching, has actually led people away from the Word of God and created greater transgressions of the law. You've created offense 
that doesn't keep you close to the word. It keeps you away from it. For the sake of your tradition, your man-made laws, you've made void the word of God. Clearly, you're not really concerned with honoring God. You're more concerned with honoring yourself. That's what's going on here. And to drive home his point, Jesus then quotes from Isaiah once again. Chapter 29, 13. This people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Your lips say you want to honor God, but your hearts are so far from me, it's staggering. Your worship is vanity. It's meaningless because it's not according to my own teachings. It's not according to what I have said is good. It's according to your commandments, men's commandments, that you're teaching as doctrines. You're saying this is what makes you clean before a holy and righteous God. That, and this is what makes you unclean. But that is at odds with what I have said. And what I have said matters. And then Jesus, as the authoritative teacher, the incarnate word, clarifying the written word, says, it doesn't matter how concerned you are with the outside. It's what's on the inside that counts. And here's a, an important gospel truth that separates Christianity from almost every other major religion in the world. Christian transformation does not happen from the outside in. It happens from the inside out. There's no amount of work that you can do to change your own heart. That has to be a work of God. Now, what God does on the inside will show up on the outside. But the order matters. It is from the heart that sin comes, according to verse 19. That's where your problem is. And that's what the law was given to reveal. And now Jesus has come to fix what we could not fix, to change our hearts and to move us toward God. What a challenging, challenging word from Jesus that forces us as the people of God to ask this question, what are we relying upon to please God, the word of God or the words of man? Do we trust in tradition or do we trust in Scripture? What do we think will actually help us please God? Certainly we should think that God would know more about what pleases him than we do with broken, sinful hearts. And yet, how often, friends, how often do we fall into this trap? How often do we let our tradition become more important than the Word of God? When I was growing up, I went to a Christian school. Maybe some of you in this room also went to a Christian school. And we didn't have dances we had banquets. Maybe you're familiar with this. Some of you who have been around in Christian circles for a long time. Do you know that for a very long time, any dancing at all was considered to be sinful? We couldn't have dances. You shouldn't have dances because of what it could lead to. Right? Now listen, I'm sure that when this was first started, when this was first brought up, there was a good intention attached to it that we didn't want our students or young people to be put in positions 
or they could start making decisions that would lead them to a place where they were not honoring God. But somewhere along the way, that fence that was built began to be taken as seriously as if God had said, you can never dance. And if you did dance, you were offending God and you were sinners. But then you start reading the word of God and you, you find places like the Psalms where David is, guess what, dancing before the Lord. And you find statements like this, that God's going to turn your mourning into dancing. So at least there's some evidence that some expression of dancing is fine. It's good. It can actually be pleasing to the Lord. Does that mean that all dancing is appropriate and God-honoring? Of course not. But it also doesn't mean that all dancing is sinful. And unfortunately, we got to wrestle with that balance. Because when we say the traditions of man or the word of man is equivalent to the words of God, it calls into question everything that we say. Because what is it that we are rooting or resting upon in order to please God? Can I just offer you for a moment a comparison between the words of man and the word of God and why the word of God is better? Why we should choose the word of God? Let's think about for a moment the dangers of the word of man. Again, not that all the time the words that we offer to one another, so long as they're rooted in Scripture, are not beneficial in any way. I think there is wisdom in saying things like, be careful how much you drink. It might not be wise for you to drink at all. I don't drink at all. But does the Bible ever say you should never drink anything? No. It teaches self-control. It teaches restraint. But I also think it's wise probably not to let alcohol in your home. But I can't say that as equivalent to God has said. There's wisdom there, but we have to be careful that we don't make it authoritative as if God had said it and you're sinful if you do. So let me just offer for a moment the danger of the words of man, even as we consider also that there are sometimes benefits to the words of man. Firstly, if we get to the point where we equivocate the words of man with the word of God, and the words of man build pride. Tradition can build pride to the point where our own self-righteousness leads us to miss the activity of God. I want you to think about this, okay? This is how stunning pride is and how, how dangerous self-righteousness is. And self-righteousness is when we, we place our standing before God in our own actions, not in the actions of God or of Christ, right? Okay. The Pharisees and the scribes came from Jerusalem and they're observing Jesus. They're watching him and they're watching their disciples. And listen, guys, you know what we've seen. I mean, Jesus is doing miracles. People are being healed. He's teaching authoritatively like no one else is taught. And yet the only thing they can see is that his disciples didn't wash their hands. Isn't that absurd? Let's forget for a second that Jim, who could not walk, is now walking. Let's forget for a second that Sally, who had leprosy, has her skin clean. Let's forget for a moment that, that the scriptures are coming to life in a way that I've never heard them before. 
Oh, they're not washing their hands. Now you guys laugh, but how many times, friends, in our context, in our settings, do we so hold to our traditions, do we so hold to our self-righteousness that we miss the activity of God? Some years ago when I was in Baton Rouge, I was talking to one of the girls who was in our college ministry, and she was, you know, sad because her dad wouldn't come to church with her anymore. And I was talking to her, and I said, well, why won't your dad come to church? She goes, well, you know, he had a life-changing experience. He came to faith in Christ, but he showed up, and he, um, he didn't have very nice clothes. And he walked in the door, and people began shaming him immediately, looking at him indifferently because he wasn't wearing the quality of clothes that other people were wearing. And he just doesn't feel like he fits. He doesn't feel like he belongs. He doesn't feel like he can be there. And I thought, how sad is it that there are people who looked at that man and did not see a life transformed by the glory of God. All they could see was his clothes. How many times has that happened? Or someone saying, Jared, did you see that person back in the back? They were raising their hands. They were doing all kinds of stuff back there. I'm just uncomfortable with that expression of worship. That's not how I grew up. That's not how I was raised. Or Conversely, did you see those people over there on the side? They were just sitting down, being reverent the whole time. I don't think they're worshiping God. Friends, let's be careful how we assign these activities or behaviors or expressions status of righteousness before God. Let's not, let's not miss the activity of, thank God, people are showing up and praising him. Thank God that God's still transforming lives. Thank God the gospel is still active, rescuing people from the, the depths of sin, the future of hell. Let's just praise God. People are showing up to worship him. And then they have clothes on it all, <laughs> right? And even David did some of that. We're not going to talk about that, but you know. The words of man, listen, the traditions of man, the words of man, if we're not careful, will build up self-righteousness and pride in a way that it causes us to miss the activity of God. And not only that, what's worse, it masks our own hearts. And we begin to think that our own actions, our own activities are enough to satisfy the righteous requirement of God. But do you see what Jesus says about these kind of teachings? It's blindness. Verse 14. These, these Pharisees, they're blind guides. The blind lead the blind. And both will fall into a pit. An eternal pit of separation from a holy and righteous God. Friends, the words of man cover what the word of God wants to uncover. That your heart is sinful and in need of a savior. And the only person that can change your heart from the inside out is Jesus Christ himself. The, wor the words of man want to dilute that so that salvation is in our control. But it's out of our control. Only God can save. And then thirdly, the words of man take us far from God so that we don't really know what pleases him. Verse 6 
your tradition saying that you don't need to honor your father and mother, which pleases God. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. What's, what's so crazy is how our traditions, well-meaning at first, our words well-meaning at first, can move to the point where they are so far removed from God that he would say that our teaching has now made his word void. Careful. Careful. You know, I think it can be said, I think it's true, that sometimes what we actually consider to be faithful or unfaithful, conservative or liberal as it applies to the Bible, has more to do with how we grew up than what the Bible says. Oh, that's not how we did things growing up. That's not what they said. That's not what he said. That's not what she said. Friends, what does the Bible say? That has to be our final authority. Because listen, Jared Richard will get things wrong. There are some things I'm going to say that are incorrect because I'm not perfect. And I don't want any of you ever to say to another pastor or another person who does it differently than me. Well, Pastor Jared said, who cares? What does God's word say? That's, that's the ultimate authority. Because sometimes I get it wrong. God's word's never wrong. That's got to be our ultimate authority. That's where we got to land. Because it will always bring us back to God. And don't forget, the words of man change. The standard changes. It used to be okay for just priests to wash their hands. Now we got to wash our hands. And it's not enough that if we just do one bucket over one hand, if we just did that same bucket over two hands, they're still unclean. we got to add some more water to it. Who knows? If the words of man, the standards of man are our condition, they will always change. We'll never know where we stand before a holy and righteous God. But praise God, that is not our standard. Our standard is the word of God. And let's consider the blessing to the word of God as kind of a comparison to the dangers of the words of man. The word of God exposes pride. It doesn't build pride. It exposes pride and reminds us of our ultimate need for a righteous and holy Savior. Verse 2, Jesus says, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Oh, no, they're asking Jesus, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands. But he answers them, verse 3, Why do you break the commandment of God? So notice the difference there. The word of man, why do you break the traditions of man? The word of God, why do you break the commandments of God? Because that's what ultimately matters. The word of God always brings us back to a place of deep humility where we remember that there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to earn righteousness before a holy and righteous God. It exposes the futility of our, our seeking and, and acting on behalf of God in our own, in our own strength and our own flesh. That we cannot earn righteousness. It must be given. The word of God humbles as it shows us our great need for a Savior. And it convicts the heart. It doesn't mask the heart. It convicts the heart as it shows us where we are far from God. The word of God shows us our hypocrisy, verse 7. And it shows us how we honor our lips or we, we say we honor God with our lips. But our hearts actually have very different things that it loves. 
It shows us those places where we have taken the teachings of men and, and given them as doctrine as opposed to embracing and only holding to the doctrines that God has given to us. And as a result, it brings us near to God, not far from God. When the word of God speaks, here's what you can trust. Imagine yourself in verse 10. You're in the crowd, you're listening to Jesus teach. He calls the people and he says to them, hear and understand. Do you know every time you sit before the word of God, it's as if Jesus is speaking, hear and understand. The help of the Holy Spirit, you can, you can hear and understand what it is that God expects from you and how you can please him. And here's the thing, it never changes. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His standard is Christ. The way you get to him, the way you please him is through Christ. Confess with your mouth Jesus Christ as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That standard will never change. You can know where you stand before a holy and righteous God through his son when you repent and believe. Friends, which will we trust? Let's not say more than God has said. Let's certainly not say less than God has said. Can we just commit as a people to believe that what God has said is enough? And honestly, we don't need to add anything to what God has already said because we ain't getting what he, got, what he said in the first place right. Forget about dancing and drinking. How about love one another? Spend a life trying to figure out how to do that. Isn't it the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm still trying to wrestle with the words of God that he's already given me, much less the words of man. Let's be sure that our standard is God's standard and that we don't believe or we don't hold anybody to account to what God has not said they are to be accountable for. And let's not get so consumed with self-righteousness and tradition that we miss the glory and the present activity of God. How can we respond this morning? How can we respond to this challenging teaching of Jesus? Let me just offer a few responses this morning to the word of God. Firstly, believe in the word of God. Believe, believe the word of God is enough. Believe the word of God will lead you to salvation. Believe the word of God will lead you to a place where you can please God with every part of your life. It is sufficient. It is enough. You want to know how to please God? Trust in him for salvation and live your life for his glory. Give your life to Christ. Live like Christ. Believe God. Believe that when God says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Believe that is true. Believe when the Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. But that there is a way to him through Christ. Believe the Bible has given us everything that we need for faithfulness, for godliness. 
treasure this and treasure exactly what God has said. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to subtract from it. It is enough. Believe in the word of God. And then secondly, see the danger in trusting the words of man. When we get outside of our authoritative bubble and we think we need to add to the word of God, tradition can lead to legalism, which leads to pride. And we can be more worried about our performance before men than our personal relationship with God who loves us. It is so sad, friends, that we could come to a point, and we have at times, as Christians in general, come to a point when we've done exactly what Jesus says here. We've broken the commandments of God for the sake of our own tradition. We've honored the Lord with our lips, but our hearts are far from us. We've allowed our tradition to make void the word of God. Let's, let's not get so committed to the way things have always been done that we miss what God is doing right now. When you see God at work, what do you see? When you come into this room, are you more concerned with people, what people are wearing or what people are saying? with their expression in worship, are their lives devoted wholly to God? Let's not call unclean what God has called clean. Let's not say if you don't worship like I worship, then you're not being faithful. If you don't eat what I eat, you're not being faithful. If you don't watch what I watch, you're not being faithful. Let's not move conviction to a place of doctrine inappropriately. God's word has said what pleases him. Let's let that be enough. And be careful. I, I pray that we would be able to sit before the Lord. In fact, I'd ask you to make this commitment. That anytime there's something in your heart that's unsettling, or something happens in the church or in the course of your everyday life with Christians, there's something unsettling in your heart. And maybe there's an offense. Would you have the courage and the discipline to go before the word of God and say, okay, God, what is it that is actually offending me? Is it tradition or is it truth? Is it your word or is it the words of man? Help me wrestle with this so that I can know what is actually pleasing to you. Because as I said, a lot of times we get mad because it's not the way that we've always done it. Not that it's what God expects of us. Oh, let us be careful, friends. Believe in the word of God and see the danger in trusting the words of man. May our commitment be not what is the way we've always done it, but what brings most glory to God. And then thirdly, allow your heart to be examined by the spirit before the word. Doing that very thing. What does your word say? Not as what... What does my pastor now or what my pastor said back then say? Hey, listen, our standard is the same. What does the word of God say? And then finally, just a warning, be careful who you listen to. In your podcasts, on Christian radio, on a Sunday morning, if people aren't holding to the word of God, be careful 
Because it could be a moment where the blind are leading the blind and you may end up in a pit. Listen, God's going to root up false teachers. God's going to root up people who have a different standard. Let's make sure we're committed and that the people we allow to have influence in our lives are leading us to hear and understand what God has said. Because he's the authority. He's the one who sets the standard. Amen? Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time before the Lord asking him to help you know how to respond to the teaching of his word. Let me ask you this morning, do you believe what God's word has said about how you please God? That in your heart you are broken and sinful and separated from a holy and righteous God. That the bad, evil, destructive things that come out of you are a result of a sin issue in your heart. And that only Jesus Christ can transform your heart. Only Jesus Christ can connect you back to a holy and righteous God. Have you allowed the work of Christ to transform you from the inside out so that you've repented and believed in him for salvation? If you've not done that, oh, that today would be the day when you would trust what God's word has said and let God lead you through his word to repentance. But For the rest of us, are we committed to holding to the word of God? holding fast to what God's word has said. Nothing more, nothing less. Because we believe it's sufficient. We believe it's authoritative. That it's enough. Let's not become so consumed with self-righteousness and pride that we miss the activity of God. Let's with humility come before the word of God and say, help us. Help us hold to your standard so that we can please you. And would you pray for us as leaders that we would be committed, pastors and leaders, that we would be committed to what God's word says and nothing more, nothing less. Father, help us all as your people, we pray. Be devoted to your word, the authority of your word. Help us to trust the word of God is enough and that it is better than the words of man. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.